Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837, and FSP, dedicated to food service excellence. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of Love for each of us, if our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents the Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, today with the church all around the world, we celebrate this great feast of Corpus Christi, the feast of the body and the blood of the Lord. The Eucharist, the Pope just told us that the Church comes from the Eucharist. That's what we're asked to meditate upon today. What I want to focus on is the second reading from Mass, which is one of the most precious texts we have from the biblical tradition, because it's the earliest description of the Eucharist. It comes from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, written oh, around the year 51 or 2 of the first century. Listen to what Paul says. I received from the Lord what I handed on to you, namely, that the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and after he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Prior to any of the Gospels, because the earliest Gospels written around the year 70. Prior to any of the Gospels, we have this description vividly laid out. The very same words that we use at the liturgy, we hear in St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Notice, too, he says, here's a tradition which I have received. That means, writing in the year 50 or so, Paul is appealing to something even earlier. This tradition of doing what Jesus did the night before he died goes right back to the beginning of the church. Coming right from Jesus himself and from the earliest times, Christians have done this thing. You know, Monsignor Ronald Knox, who was one of the great converts to Catholicism in the last century, he said, of all the commands of Jesus, this one, do this in remembrance of me, is the most obeyed. You know, I think he's right. Think of the commands of Jesus. You know, love your neighbor. Love your enemies. Judge not, you shall not be judged. Well, let's face it. Those are mostly honored in the breach. But then there's this command. Do this in remembrance of me. Christians have been faithfully obeying it from the beginning. And even to this day, I can say consistently, I can say clearly, that all over the world, probably thousands of times today, Christians have gathered to follow this command. We're right near the heart of the matter in meditating upon it. So, what does it mean? Why do we do it? Listen now to the line, also from the second reading, which comes just after this description I gave. Paul says, Every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. 
That, I would say, is one of the most brilliantly conceived statements in the New Testament. Look what Paul does. He compresses the three dimensions of time. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, in other words, what you're doing right now, you proclaim the death of the Lord. You remember and make present something in the past. Until He comes again. You're also anticipating the future. Right now, you bring together in a dynamically significant way past and future. How do we make sense of this? Well, Christians think beginnings and endings are always charged with meaning. I think of my first day going away to university when I was 17. My first time away from home. Arriving at the school with my new clothes and all my new things. I was going to say my new computer. We didn't have computers then. Probably my little electric typewriter. But there I was, full of energy, enthusiasm for this great project. It was frightening. It was overwhelming, off-putting. It was all those things at once. And it was so charged with meaning, that day of beginning, that I remember it vividly now. It's etched in my memory. I also remember vividly my graduation day, four years later. That day when I was dressed in distinctive garb, wearing this interesting hat, a day full of pomp and circumstance, my family, friends, fellow students gathered around me, a day of heady speeches. Graduation day was what it was all tending toward. It was the culmination of that whole experience. We tend to remember the beginnings and the ends because they're charged with meaning. You know, what's difficult, of course, is making our way through the middle. Let's say you're halfway through your second year of college. Do you have a vivid memory of that? Probably not. You're quite a ways from the beginning and all that excitement. You're still a long way from graduation and all that excitement, and you're kind of slogging your way through. It's beginnings and endings that are filled with drama. You know, I remember, this is a little odd detail, when I was studying Latin many years ago as a high school student, we were trying to get used to this odd word order in Latin sentences because it wasn't at all like what we were used to. And I remember the professor said to us, what are the two most important parts of a line? He said, well, I, I guess the beginning and the end. He said, right. What are the two most important parts of a sentence? Well, I guess the subject and the verb. Right. And that's exactly where the Romans put them. The subject tends to come at the beginning, the verb comes at the end. They are the points in the sentence that are most charged with significance. Okay. With this in mind, revisit Paul's line. Every time that you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Here we are in the present, eating and drinking the body and blood of the Lord. We're at the Mass, we're at the Eucharist. What are we doing? We are bringing to that moment these two charged places, the beginning and the end.
We remember the death of the Lord. In Paul's language, death of the Lord is a kind of code. It's a code for the Paschal mystery. Not just the death of the Lord, but the dying and the rising of Christ. That moment when the church began, that point of initiation for all of Christianity, the death and resurrection of Jesus, the one upon whom we had pinned our hopes, the Messiah, the Savior, is put to death brutally, publicly, and it appears finally. But then, on the third day, through the power of the Spirit, the Father raises the Son from death. Jesus appears alive again to his disciples. And what did they see in that moment? Well, they saw everything. They saw a new world. They saw that all those forces that had contributed to his death, I mean the Jews, I mean the Romans, I mean the society, I mean themselves, all those forces that had contributed to his death, they were under judgment. They were not God's way. They did not represent God's order, God's way of being. They were under judgment. And in the resurrection, a new way, a new world, a new style of being, a new order was on display. Not through armies and swords and dominion and domination and power, but rather through compassion and through forgiveness and through nonviolence and love, God orders the world and God reveals his way of being. Christians, they saw all of that in the dying and the rising of Jesus. Think of Paul himself on the road to Damascus when he's convinced he's doing the right thing and then he sees the risen Jesus and a whole new world opens up. Well, it was wonderful. It was thrilling. It was frightening. Listen to the accounts, by the way, of the resurrected Jesus, how often he has to say, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Think of Paul who was blinded. He was knocked to the ground by this experience. It was full of all of the energy and fear and excitement of a great beginning. You see what I'm driving at? When we gather at the Eucharist and we eat the body and drink the blood of the Lord, we remember that beginning. Better, better, because memory is too vague a term. We make present now all of that energy and all of that power and all of that significance. But that's not all. We remember the death of the Lord until he comes. We also, Christians, when we eat the body and drink the blood of Jesus, we also look forward. Did the resurrection represent the culmination of all things? Well, yes, in a certain way, because it was God's purpose being revealed. But let's face it, the world is still a kind of dark place, full of difficulty, tension, sin. God's final order has not yet been revealed. That will be revealed in the second coming of Jesus. Oh, the Bible has tons of images for it. It's when the heavenly Jerusalem comes. It's a new heavens and a new earth. 
the consummation and culmination of all things, when all things have been brought under the feet of Christ, when God will be all in all, those are biblical symbols for the end of time, the end of all things, the consummation. Christians, when we gather at the Eucharist, we eat the body, we drink the blood of the Lord. We look back to the beginning and we recover all of its power. And we look forward to the end, the consummation, when all will be according to God's way. When we gather now, we anticipate that eschatological banquet, the banquet of heaven. And we bring, listen now, all of the beauty, energy, thrill, and power of that future time here now. Both past and future gathered in the present, energizing the present. Let me close with this. I mentioned that period when you're in second year in college and you're a long way from the beginning, you're a long way from the end, and you're kind of just slogging your way through, how that can be the most difficult time? Well, that's where we live, Christians. We live in the in-between time. We're a long way from the beginning. We're 2,000 years from it. We're probably a long way from the end. I don't know when it's going to come. No one knows. But we're away from it. We're slogging our way through. Difficult, challenging, overwhelming sometimes. The Eucharist is the moment now. When now, in the middle of things, we purposely bring the energy of both beginning and end to now that we might have the courage, energy, the conviction to make our way through this present moment. That's why we celebrate the Corpus Christi, the Feast of the Body and Blood of the Lord. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the Word on Fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.